you apparently don't follow me on Twitter because yesterday I laid out very, very clearly by July 6th, because of the allegations from the IRS, because of the whistleblowers and the DOJ, our, our Garland, what he is saying and what David Weiss are saying privately are two different things. Right. And if it comes true what the IRS whistleblower is saying, we're going to start impeachment inquiries on the attorney general. Well, it, it- this is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Unplugged. Welcome to episode 36 of The Middle Unplugged, a break in the middle of the week when we reclaim the microphone from the far left and the far right and try to carve out some time for a less shrill and less extreme and generally less angry conversation. When we were enduring the low stakes, low energy, low rating slog that was the House of Representatives attempting to choose the person who would be speaker of that august body, I tried to make sense of it for you, my dear listener. I called the episode Mastering Sino Rules, Sino Rules, I can't remember how I pronounced it, Sino Speaker in Name Only, get it? Episode 12, I think it was, available everywhere, it's back in January sometime. I explained that in order to secure the job, Kevin McCarthy would have to make concessions that would make the job impossible to do well, and I wasn't alone. And by do well, I mean not do what I might like, let's put it that way. I mean do what citizens might reasonably expect from the People's House of Representatives. So the past weeks, the wheels have come off in ways that big swaths of the country and maybe listeners to this podcast may not have even noticed. Just to reset the situation, the Republicans emerged from the midterm elections of 2022 with a historically small governing majority. Defying expectations of a much more comfortable margin of error, the Republicans had a uh, 222 to 213, and I actually think it's even closer now, meaning that at the time, if just five Republicans didn't vote for their leader, then Democrats would prevail. Like I said, I think one member has passed away on the Republican side, so it's down to four. In order to herd these cats and finally get the speakership on the famous 15th ballot, Kevin McCarthy had to make a lot of concessions to his opponents in his own caucus. Many, including me, warned that this might be problematic, not so much for the country, because there really isn't much the country needs them to do, but for themselves. If the speaker's opponents, mostly a Star Wars bar scene of crazy MAGA misfits, if they were willing to kneecap their own new majority as the first action of their new majority, then it stood to reason that as time went by, they would be more and more crazy. As the scorpion said to the frog, this is their nature. The last couple of weeks have shown us they want to censure, fine, and impeach Democrats or their perceived allies. People with names like Schiff, Mayorkas, Ray, even this guy Biden. And before I go any further, let me stipulate to one thing. Oversight is to be expected and even welcomed in the abstract sense. Hearings on immigration or crime in New York or even Hunter Biden's hunts for crimes and videotapes and audiotapes are well within the bounds of normal. But the Republicans are doing things that have little precedent in the pursuit of MAGA one-upsmanship. First came the censoring of Adam Schiff, the Democrat, uh, Democratic congressman from California. Schiff became the face of the first impeachment of Donald Trump for threatening the president. Okay, let's see if I get this right. Donald Trump was impeached for threatening the president of Ukraine with withholding aid unless he, the president of Ukraine, opened up an investigation into Joe Biden. Schiff was also part of the prosecution of the second impeachment of Donald Trump for his, the former president's, role in in, in inciting an insurrection. He was also seen by many in MAGA world as one of the evildoers who are highlighting the Russian successes in influencing our election on behalf of Donald Trump in 2016. And in what I assume was unintended irony, the resolution that censured Schiff 
accused him of, quote, falsehoods, misrepresentations, and abuses of sensitive information, close quote. So he was censored, which essentially meant that he has to stand in the well of Congress and have the speaker say that he was a bad boy. Um, Now, this doesn't happen all that often, like almost never. It is rare for a member of Congress to be censured, a punishment that amounts, all kidding aside, to just a public reprimand. The House has censored members just 24 times in its chamber's long history and typically only after a finding of wrongdoing. Before Mr. Schiff were two members of the House that had been censured, that had been censured in, in almost four decades. So what was the net effect of that censorship? Censorship? Is that even a word? Well, two things for sure. The Trump-supporting world probably loved it, and the Schiff campaign for the United States Senate in California really loved it. Getting yelled at for being mean to Donald Trump, believe me, Adam Schiff was blessed by his opponents in this case. But did it have any real consequences for the rest of us? Well, it depends on how you view these things. The most obvious outcome now is the House Republicans have bigger game in sight. They want to impeach the head of the Department of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, for what they call dereliction of duty for what they don't like he about what he's doing at the border. They want to impeach the head of the FBI, Christopher Wray, who was appointed, I should say, by Donald Trump. They want to impeach Mr. Wray for politicizing the FBI or prosecuting people they don't like to have prosecuted. They want to impeach the Attorney General, Merrick Garland, for not prosecuting Hunter Biden enough, and Joe Biden at all, and for prosecuting, in their view, Donald Trump. Ironically, this may get some votes from Democrats who can't believe he hasn't prosecuted Donald Trump even more. That cut you heard at the top, where the person who's right behind the vice president in line to be the president of the United States wondered if the hosts of Fox News read his Twitter feed. That voice is the speaker suggesting he is prepared to impeach the attorney general because he thinks, now follow me here, that the attorney general hindered the investigation into Hunter Biden that was run by the U.S. attorney of Delaware, David Weiss, who was appointed by Donald Trump and left in office by Joe Biden. And speaking of Biden, now there is a move afoot to impeach him as well. The rationale for this is a moving target, but the most recent argument also comes back to the Hunter Biden case. An agent at the IRS, now you're going to have to concentrate a little of this or put the playback speed on very slow. An agent at the IRS who was working on the Hunter Biden tax case, which resulted in Hunter Biden paying back taxes that he hadn't paid and resulted in two misdemeanor criminal please, which will enter into next month. That person said that he got access to WhatsApp messages in which Hunter Biden was leaning on a Chinese business acquaintance by saying he was sitting with his father at the time. Okay, suspending a couple of things here. You know, we don't know if the messages are real. We don't know how many Bidens knew about them. We do know, however, that David Weiss, that U.S. attorney in Delaware, had access to all of this material, so could have investigated it and prosecuted to his heart's content. But I digress. So they want to impeach Biden next. Again, does this matter? Outside the mission creep of the impeachment section of the Constitution, I should point out here, the sum and substance of the impeachments done by the House of Representatives come down to this. 15 federal judges, three presidents, Andrew Johnson in 1868, William Jefferson Clinton in 1998, and Donald J. Trump in 2019 and 2021. One cabinet secretary, William Belknap in 1876, one U.S. Senator, William Blount of Tennessee, in 1797. Those are all the impeachments the House of Representatives has done in its long history. It may matter, and so the question of does it matter, it may matter in a political sense. This may highlight an essential problem with the Republican Party right now. 
And if you know or learn only three things to help you understand all other things about American politics in 2023, it is these things. One, because of gerrymandering, more and more districts are drawn to not be competitive, meaning they are drawn to either give Democrats or Republicans a big advantage. Two, in the Republican Party, the base, meaning the collection of voters who decide who is the Republican nominee in those Republican districts, they have only one criteria. Who is the most Trumpy, the most supporter of the Trump stuff? And the third thing you need to know is that the country is essentially 45-45-10 right now. 45, virtually Republican at any at, for any reason at all or no reason at all. 45, Democrat for all reasons or no reasons. And the 10, the so-called independent voters, are not super Trumpy. And since they swung for Trump in 2016, they have been running away ever since. So keeping these three rules in mind, in a way, the best Democratic strategy is just to stand back and watch the Republicans do things to offend that 10%. Returning to the coming tsunami of impeachments that we started talking about at the top, that will at least be dominating the hearing calendar, because even if Kevin McCarthy can stop them from coming to the floor, all he succeeds in doing is saying, okay, let's have hearings about these things. That's what's going to be dominating the House schedule for the foreseeable future. To the Republicans in Congress, many of whom are in districts described in Rule 1, heavily gerrymandered in their favor, heavily Republican, and whose voters are described in Rule 2, motivated by MAGA bloodlust, those votes are not at all risky. They seem like easy and smart politics. Going home and ticking off the Democrats you quote-unquote impeached is rhetorical manna from heaven. But for those few Republicans who are from close districts or districts that Biden carried by a few points, Rule 3 seems to make this so-called agenda a really bad deal. Now, does Speaker McCarthy know all this? Yes, all of it. That, that, that his members and the owner of his party, Donald Trump, like this impeachment censure stuff, but also that it's ruinous for the longevity of his narrow majority and ultimately the chances for Trump to win in 2024? Yes, he knows all that. It's a cliche to say that voters want Congress to focus on bread and butter issues closer to their experience, but given the results, recently it's also very true. So as the party locks in its branding as a Trump-first vehicle, his brand of politics of grievance will be on display and at no real effect. None of those efforts will actually lead to anything but the wrong kind of symbolism. So what is McCarthy to do? Well, let's look at Nancy Pelosi as the counterfactual. She, too, had a barely there majority in 2021. At one point, only six members. She, too, had rules that permitted members to bring up a so-called privilege resolution to force the House to take up impeachment. She had that same situation. But an important difference that is often overlooked is that while the left wing of the Democratic Party has conflicts with the more centrist parts of the coalition, Nancy Pelosi was able to coax and cajole the team to stay together and focus on things that were most popular in the country. I didn't say coerce, because there is not much a speaker can do to make you comply as an individual member. She can't cut your budget. She can't take away your desk. It's even very difficult to take away your committee assignments. I guess she can make the argument that a narrow majority means that we all have to pull together and work for the team. And this is what McCarthy doesn't have. It's not that he isn't persuasive, although, frankly, I know him a little bit. He probably isn't. He doesn't have the card to play that if we stick together, we can get more done card. Most in his caucus don't want to do anything but settle scores and own the libs. While Nancy could say, if we stick together and not focus on silly things, we can continue this whole long list of things, fixing health care, improving infrastructure, we can protect a woman's right to choose. 
There are no such legislative ideas that Kevin McCarthy knows his caucus wants. Many of them are there only to impeach. So while the small but influential independent voter in the country rolls their eyes and gets ready for another good election for Democrats, Kevin McCarthy and his band of impeachers, well, they're just lining up their next Democratic target. And we'll be right back. So welcome back. This is a part of the Middle Unplugged that we call Ask Anthony. It started out being called Listener Mail. Now it's Ask Anthony where a question is either directed towards me by people who write to me at Twitter at Rep Wiener, R-E-P-W-E-I-N-E-R, Facebook at Anthony D. Wiener, uh, WienerWABC at gmail.com, or in the comments section that many of these podcasts offer as an option, many of the podcast platforms offer. And we've used it as an opportunity to take direct questions, but we've also used it as an opportunity to kind of thrust and parry with questions that have been asked either of or by prominent figures. Sometimes they're even hosts on the, on the show here. And this week we have a particular one that is notable for its length, and it's also notable for the fact that it doesn't contain one, it contains 13 questions. This is two minutes and I think one second. And it takes a little while. This is Stuart Varney of Fox Business. And the woman's voice you'll hear is Elise Stefanik. She is a United States House, uh, a member of the Rep- uh, House of Representatives. She's a Republican. She was elected in 2014. She took office in 2015. And she's the chair of the Republican Conference since 2021, the fourth ranking House Republican. Again, it's a little long. Stick with me because there's a point to all this. He has no solution. No solution. We do have a solution. Uh, House Republicans passed a border security bill, the strongest border security bill in the history of Capitol Hill. Plus, we have been supportive of stop it. But there's five million illegals here already. It may stop it in the future. It does stop five million here already. You stop that, you know, attraction for illegals to come to the United States because they see amnesty policies of Joe Biden. We've got. We need to be a country that's based upon the rule of law. But what are we going to do with our legal immigration system? That does, we should not be rewarding breaking the law. What do we do with them? We're the only branch that has put what forth do we a solution. Do with them? They should at not the get moment, citizenship. We're feeding them, housing them. We should not get citizenship. Do all of that. That is unacceptable, and certainly I don't support that. Shall we let them the work? Because the U.S. taxpayers don't support Shall that. Shall we let them work? I have supported strengthening our legal immigration system. We want a legal process well, look, to come can... to the United States, okay. not illegal immigration. But look, please answer the question. There are five million people illegally here under the Biden administration. They are not American citizens. Okay, they're not. Okay, fine. And we should not reward that. We should not reward that. We need to secure the border. We need to. But we're paying for them. We have legal work visa programs. We have legal work visa programs that need to be strengthened. We should never support amnesty. What are you doing with the five million you got? They should not. They're not American citizens. And it's Joe Biden's catastrophic crisis. You're not going to throw them out, are you? We, certainly, no, we you're support. not. You can't. Im, it, it, that is impossible. Ex, if you are pro amnesty, I don't support illegal I'm immigration. I'm not pro amnesty. I just want to know what you're going to do with the five million we got. Well, obviously, Mayor Adams doesn't have an answer to the question. Joe Biden doesn't have an answer to the question. Republicans' answer to the question is: We need to secure the border. Then we can strengthen our legal immigration system. But we should not be rewarding illegals for pouring into this country. The American people do not support that. But I'm supporting them. Uh, Elise Stefanik, that was good. And thank you very much for addressing the question head on. We appreciate that. Thank you very much indeed. Great. So there you go. If you were counting, 
The question put by Mr. Varney, by Stuart Varney, is put 13 times. Now, I didn't count the times when he just made an observation and left a pregnant moment for her to respond to it. I didn't count those as questions. And essentially, is what are you going to do about the undocumented who are here in this country illegally? He kept saying, um, or undocumented, in an undocumented way. He kept saying 5 million. That number's kind of been kind of plucked out of the air. There have been close to that that are here outstanding that are seeking grants of asylum. But there are many more, about another 12 or 13 million who are long-term undocumented, who either came here and overstayed their visa or came here on a temporary work permit and stayed. There are many who are so-called dreamers who came here as young children and don't know another country or sometimes or, or sometimes have never even been to another country, don't even speak the language of their, of their parents' country. And it gets at an essential weakness of the argument that Republicans make about immigration. Now, I've done episodes about immigration. I don't want to dwell on it, but this is fundamentally the problem that they have, is the moment that you start to ask them, well, what are you going to do about this overwhelming number of, of people that are here? And obviously, we can't employ a force of hundreds of thousands of immigration officers to go out and hunt these people down. What are you going to do? And an essential part of any compromise is a path to some kind of documentation for those people. It's been suggested, it's not usually controversial, that if they can show that they paid their taxes, if they haven't violated the law, that they're working, that they're not receiving, you know, public assistance in any substantial form, that they've essentially been good Americans, that they've learned the language, like they would go to the end of the line, they would pay a fine, it wouldn't be amnesty, they would pay a fine, and then they would get some kind of temporary document until their name came up, and they'd have an op- opportunity to find a path towards citizenship. You heard Elise Stefanik refer at one point to, well, I don't believe in amnesty, it would answer that question because it wouldn't be amnesty. But putting aside the substance of the question, it was the way that Stuart Varney on Fox Business, a conservative host and a conservative outlet, was persistent in trying to get this seemingly sympathetic guest to answer a relatively simple question that is a gigantic hole in the argument that Republicans frequently make. Elise Stefanik obviously came unprepared for that question because it's never posed, and she certainly sat down at Fox Business with no expectation that this would be a difficult conversation. There would be a lot of head nogging. In fact, in fact, if you look at the video, there's actually a second interviewer there who sits mute the entire time. But it does raise the question about how you're supposed to, as someone who is an interviewer, how you're supposed to be able to stop interviews from simply being bumper stickers presented in sequence. What is a good way? Now, now I want to stress this was not an adversarial environment, that this was Fox Business, a conservative place, but it was a reasonable and obvious question to ask. And this, this type of question has come up a good deal, not the substance, the, the, the form question about how you do this because of that town hall meeting, that disastrous town hall meeting Donald Trump gave on CNN where, you know, Donald Trump has his want – basically said so many things that were not true that it was very difficult to get an answer. Now, when I, on my radio show that I do on Saturdays at 2 o'clock called The Middle, I will often, because I control the microphone and these are callers calling, and I will often stop someone or after they've made their their rant about how this is you know persecution of Donald Trump, for example, I will say, well, if he did the things that he's accused of doing, do you think he should be punished for those things? And and it's easier for me in that kind of environment. But is this the type of interview that we need to see more often? Or by listening to that two minute and one second, you said, boy, this sounds, this is unlistenable. I think we learned an enormous amount about the fact, about one essential thing, that there is no plan for what Stuart Varney was asking Lee Stefanik was about. I mean, we are in this environment, and it's been this way for a while. 
that after we went through this period in American history where interviewers and interviewees were largely in the game together, meaning they were answering substantive questions with substantive answers, and there was not a sense of gotcha, good guy, bad guy. Then in the post-Watergate era, and maybe even more importantly after Ronald Reagan kind of perfected this kind of way of presenting things as kind of like full-force full media presentations, keeping him out of the way of answering difficult questions, kind of managing the news, reporters came to see themselves as jobs of essentially saying, well, if these politicians are going to put varnish on themselves, we're, our job is going to be to scrape the varnish off. And now we're in a template that Democrats go on Democratic outlets, Republicans go on Republican outlets, and neither no one has a real vested interest in making anyone look bad. So the conversations are not very substantive. It's, hey, tell me why the other guys stink. Oh, yeah, the other guys stink. Let me tell you why. So, yes, it's so true. The other guys stink. Tell me more about what the other guys stink. But I think that what we saw here was Stuart Varney trying to do what maybe should be done a lot more. And that's on the left and right, which is if people are going to just do platitudes, you stop them. And then you stop them again, and even if you have to stop them 13 times. But I thought it was telling that despite that instinct, Stuart Varney still ended the interview by saying, this was good. Thanks for tackling these questions head on. I appreciate you joining us here on The Middle Unplugged. The feedback has been excellent. If you have an opportunity to share this podcast, please do. That's the way more people find out about us. If you have a chance to rank us or rate us in your podcast platform, five stars is recommended, but not required. Just uh, we want to get your feedback there. As I said, some podcast platforms that let you offer comments, we read all of those as well. This podcast uh, drops every Wednesday morning. Uh, thanks to our great sound designer and producer, Eric Salas. Um, we encourage you to subscribe wherever you get these uh, podcasts. Also, while you're at it, under a separate feed is The Middle, which is my radio show that gets repurposed as a podcast. That uh, We have the show live at 2 o'clock on 77 WABC Radio in New York. And then almost immediately thereafter, it goes up as a podcast. You can subscribe to that as well. It's called The Middle. As I said, you want to reach out to me. Once again, here's all the contact information. At Rep Wiener on Twitter. Anthony D. Wiener on Facebook. WienerWABC at gmail.com. And that's, you know, and when you call in on Saturday, we'll give you the phone number for that as well. Really do appreciate having you along. I'm grateful for your support. And this marks the end of The Middle Unplugged.